Welcome back to Thinking About It. I'm here in our studio with uh, my good friend, Dr. David Barker, who is um, kind of a permanent guest on our program here. We, we don't know how to, how to officially call that, but uh, we have a good time chatting, Dave and I, and uh, we sometimes uh, don't know what to talk about. Eventually things pop into our head. And today, Dave, I want to talk about what everyone's chatting about right now, um, just the impact of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, um, and more her faith, how her faith has um, been good for the gospel uh, in the position that she has. She's not like a preacher of the gospel per se, but most people who follow her, listen to her uh, proclamations are encouraged by things that she says about her relationship with Christ. So I just get the Anglican Church as a whole, we have pretty big issues with because there's so much um, apostasy that's worked its way through the tradition, so much so that there's a movement separating itself uh, from mainline Anglicanism. But but there she is, mm-hmm. the head of state, um, quietly affirming her faith. And I, I just want to ponder that with you, think about how good that is, what are some uh, messages for we in the broad evangelical community that we can learn from. So I don't know. You got yeah. some thoughts about that? Well, it's interesting because um, my grandparents on my mother's side, uh, my grandmother was Scottish, my grandfather was English, and, uh, oh, they would never miss the Queen's message on mm-hmm. Christmas morning, right? And uh, I've heard some of them. I certainly didn't listen to them all or watch them all, but the ones I heard and the ones I heard about – I mean, the message was very, very clear. Her faith was front and center in, in the belief of what Christmas is all about, but also her personal invo- involvement in that, in, in that faith. So, yeah, she was clearly uh, a follower of Christ and our sister in the Lord, and that's something to celebrate for sure, for sure. I have here a copy. I just printed it up this morning um, from June 1953. It is the the liturgy of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. And as I understand liturgy, this is what Charles should expect too. And it's page after page after page of Bible, um, the Apostles' Creed, uh, prayers. Uh, just, just let me read a couple of things here. The Archbishop says, Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Uh, will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law? And it goes on and on. <laughs> and then they give her a Bible, and they call it, Our Gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as to the rule for whole life and government and Christian prince, uh, princes. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Amen and amen. <laughs> the sacred scriptures, and they are the sacred scriptures. There's nothing like it. It's interesting, just just kind of riffing off that a little bit. Um, in my notes at school, I talk about uh, our primary textbook is the Bible. And I've been convicted by that. The Bible is not a textbook. We've got textbooks. But the Bible is the sacred word of God. It is the holy scriptures. And uh, I think when we start talking about the Bible as our textbook, and I get it, I understand, I know why I put it in there, and we use that language around the school, 
But I think we need to be really careful that, uh, you know, we're just not talking about a superior textbook to my Old Testament textbook. Mm -hmm. It is distinct and unique, and it is God's inspired word, for sure. Uh, Part of this liturgy is an anointing, which is an Old Testament prof. Uh, You'll love that. And they make reference to the Old Testament anointing of kings. Sure. And I saw this on the episode of The Queen. If you ever watched that series, when she was coronated, um, they had this anointing ceremony, and it was they did a great job to convey the idea that something spiritual was happening at this anointing. There was a, a reckoning that the queen had, and part of the words here it's, it just describes the liturgy. It says the dean of Westminster lay the ampulla and spoon upon the altar, and the queen kneeling down at the fall stool. i got to learn all these words. (laughs) The archbishop shall say the blessing over her. O Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who by his Father was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows, by his holy anointing pour down upon your head and heart the blessing of the Holy Ghost and prosper the works of your hands. And I think it was at that point in the series that Elizabeth her countenance changed as she seemed to uh, be experiencing an endowment of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know quite how to think theologically about that, but judging by the things that I'm reading here in the liturgy, they believe that the Holy Spirit um, did come upon her to enable her to be a wise and godly and enduring queen. I don't know, man. Hey, I think I think it's perfectly appropriate that we pray that the Spirit empower, endow her, us, uh, you know, come Holy Spirit. Um, I, I think we're, we are all indwelt by the Spirit, for sure, for sure. Pentecost was an empowerment event. wasn't a, I, I think Old Testament saints were indwelt as well, but it, Pentecost was an endow, it was an empowerment event, mm-hmm. baptism of the Spirit. But we're we are called we are called told to pray for the filling of the spirit, and that has the notion of empowerment and endowment. And so for the for the for the liturgy to express that kind of prayer or whatever for the queen, I think we can pray the same thing for for our leaders that the spirit would somehow invade the the lives of our political leaders mm-hmm. and help them serve us in righteousness and truth and integrity and and wisdom. I, I think that's. And so it's wonderful to hear that kind of thing right in the liturgy. I mean, we would yeah. never hear that kind of prayer for uh, for our leaders here in Canada. But. Well, and they wouldn't want it. I think the Queen welcomed this. And here, sure. you're going to love this. This is the the general confession. And so it says, Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, by word, Indeed, against the divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us, we do earnestly repent. How do you think that's going to go over? With, 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 <laughs> with, Char- with, with King Charles? Yeah, and millions of people are listening to that. I have no idea how it's going to go over with King Charles, but I'm pleased that, that we're going to hear it, and those millions of people are going to hear it, and it's a voice of the gospel uh, a voice of, of the need, voice of the call to repentance, and the voice of, of bringing Jesus into the whole scene of the one who has provided 
the sacrificial death so those things can happen. Wonderful. Yeah, it's all over here. And, and this is why I think so many Christians um, <clears throat> who don't want a monarchy in the pure sense, we don't want a dictatorship, we want to be parliamentarian, but there's a real emotional attachment to what's going on right now. And I think it's got something to do with the fact that there are traditions in our society that are being trampled underfoot in, in, in a way that is swift, unprecedented. We're feeling detached. And the queen represents the old, the traditional, which I don't consider myself a traditionalist normally, but I think that there are traditions that uh, we as uh, students of God's word have to affirm and protect and to cherish. And the queen reminds me Mm -hmm. that uh, someone needs to stand for that, even though all around her there may not be faith, but she sometimes all by herself stands for all things traditional and in particular the tradition of the gospel. It's interesting that... um my professor way back in seminary, Dr. John Whitcomb, some of our listeners may actually recognize that name. Um, I still remember him working in, in 2 Timothy 2, two, and you and I know that verse well because it was the theme verse of London mm-hmm. Baptist Bible College and Seminary. But I still remember him standing at the board and uh, drawing a box and saying, this is the tradition, this is the things that thou, you have heard from me, along many others. And he, he drew two diagrams. He drew one in which the box got smaller, and then he drew another that the box got bigger. And he said, both of those are wrong. And then he drew a third one in which the boxes, as we moved along, stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't to say that we articulate it all in the same way. It doesn't mean that necessarily all in the same forms. But the core truth of what we believe needs to be passed on with integrity from generation to generation. And then, as you're saying, the queen represented as an illustration of how to pass on the tradition carefully and thoughtfully, right? Uh, Somewhere in here, I read they've got the 39 articles, Mm -hmm. which is an embodiment of the tradition. That's the apostolic doctrine squished Mm -hmm. in the 39 articles. Mm -hmm. And then they've got the Apostles' Creed, and I think these, it's one thing to say, well, here's the Bible. This is our tradition. But for whatever reason, the Bible needs to be taken, analyzed, organized in such a way so that this tradition is clarified and explained and passed on to the next generation. And there are a number of articles, if you will, or documents or catechisms that do that because it just doesn't seem enough to say, well, here's the Bible, figure it out. Mm-hmm. There is a tradition of apostolic teaching bound up in the Scripture that needs to be contended for. Do you remember, Bob, Jerry, Ben, our dear president, um, his five Vs? Do you remember what those are? I, I think I can recite them. <laughs> so, first one was what? Verbal inspiration, and then virgin birth, and then vicarious atonement victorious resurrection, and visible return, right? right? Amen. And, I, you know, it's simplistic, probably oversimplistic, but I, I never forgot those. Mm-hmm. And as I think about the tradition that I need to pass on 
as I'm involved in seminary training and, and others and beyond that, I think about, okay, I've got to pass on the authority of Scripture, God breathed, sacred, all the rest of the things. I've got to pass on the virgin birth notion, which includes the fact that it's God, human, coming to provide, and all the things that are wrapped around that, not just the virgin birth, mm-hmm. but the whole theology around that. The vicarious atonement, justification by faith, not of works, right? The of the, a, a victorious resurrection that is literal and real, and it actually happened. Mm-hmm. And then the visible return. I mean, we can debate as to how and when that's all going to happen, but it's going to happen. And it seems to me that I, I just... That's I, very helpful. I, I just thought... In fact, I just covered that this morning in my class uh, with a bunch of, bunch of students. And uh, I, when I think, you know, it's a, that's even a, more of a condensation, a condensation of the mm-hmm. uh, 39 articles. But, you know, as we as evangelicals, you know, if we can kind of capture it in that kind of way, I think then we can actually begin to say, okay, here's what the box looks like mm-hmm. as we move it from generation to generation. This morning I was speaking to our Joy Fellowship from 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, I, I want to remind you of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I know the gospel. Yeah, well, I want to remind you. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes it doesn't seem to make a difference in our lives, right? It's just stored away somewhere. And then he just basically says, here's what it is. Christ died for our sins, um, rose again, and uh, is coming again. That, those, those are the things that are, are critical. And he, was di- he died, he was buried, and rose again. And that was... One of many places in Scripture where the fundamentals, if you will, are encapsulated in a way that, okay, like the five V's, I can remember that. Mm-hmm. Now, you can unpack any one of those V's like you just did. Sure. And, uh, and I think that's what theologians have done all throughout the ages. They just put it in words of in a contemporary context, and we need to keep doing that. And one of the greatest, the loss that we are... We are lamenting right now is Dr. Stan Fowler was one of the best Mm -hmm. at doing that kind of thing. He was an, he was well-versed in church history and the traditions. He was well-versed as a biblical theologian to be able to unpack it from a, from what you would call a inductive way of reading scripture. And then out of that, he emerged as one of the most outstanding systematic theologians Mm -hmm. And then, of course, bring it into the world of the church. And so, yeah, it's a huge loss. Uh, by the way, Stan was in the building on Sunday, and uh, people said, did you see Stan? He was standing for the singing of our hymns, standing yeah. up. And uh, he actually moves his mouth. Donna says that it's got no relation to the words spoken, but in his mind, it does. It's uh, God bless Stan and uh, the legacy that he has left. Well, Dave, we are out of time talking about the handing down from generation to generation of things that are sacred and holy. And the queen has come to represent someone who is a defender of the faith. And I agree with you that we'll see her one day at the throne of the King of Kings. So until then, well, not then, until next week, <laughs> I'm Bob McGregor I'm here with... I'm Dave Barker. Thanks for thinking about it with us. Bye-bye. <laughs>